Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. You make 35,000 decisions every day, according to psychologists. That's around a billion decisions in your lifetime. That's a lot. Now some of the decisions are pretty small, like when you woke up this morning. Do I press snooze? Again or not? Do I wake up grumpy or do I let her sleep? <laughs> Cinnamon Toast Crunch or Egos, you know? When I get to church, do I grab a coffee or do I walk right in? Do I tune mic out or do I actually listen? Where do I sit? Now, that's a funny thing, by the way. Um, for a lot of you, you don't decide that. If you've been coming to Southside for, your, for a few weeks, your mind loves routine because it has enough decisions to make. So you might have noticed, by the way, that you often gravitate to the same seat over and over and over again. That's because your mind wants a break from making so many decisions. And some of the decisions are a little bit bigger. Like when I get done high school, am I going to travel, get a job, go into post-secondary education? Where am I going to live? Am I going to move out or am I going to stay with my parents? And if I do stay with my parents, how long? How long? How long will I stay with my parents? And then some of your decisions are even bigger. Am I going to ask her to marry me? If he asks me, am I going to say yes? Are we going to have kids? How many kids are we going to have? How are we going to raise them? What schools are we going to put them in? What church are we going to raise our family in? 35,000 decisions every day. One billion decisions in your life. And I would suggest that of all the decisions that you make today, out of all the decisions that you make in your lifetime, the most dis- important decisions that you will ever make are all revolving around the person of Jesus. See, we're in this journey through the gospel of John. And we're going to see in John chapter 7 today, the battle lines have been drawn. Let me put that a different way. People have made their minds up. They've made their decisions about Jesus. And it's going to radically alter their stories and the story of Jesus. So we're in Jerusalem. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. John chapter 7, starting at verse 25. That's when some of the people of Jerusalem said, isn't this the one that they were out to kill? And here he is out in the open saying whatever he pleases. And no one is stopping him. Could it be that the rulers know that he is in fact the Messiah? And yet we know where this man came from. The Messiah is going to come out of nowhere. Nobody is going to know where he comes from. That provoked Jesus, who was teaching in the temple, to cry out. Yeah, you think you know me and where I'm from, but that's not where I'm from. I didn't set myself up in business. My true origin is the one who sent me. And you don't know him at all. I come from him. That's how I know him. He sent me here. They were looking for a way to arrest him, but not a hand was laid on him because it wasn't yet God's time. Many from the crowd committed themselves in faith to him, saying, Will the Messiah, when he comes, provide better or more convincing evidence than this? The Pharisees, alarmed at this seditious undertow going through the crowd, teamed up with the high priest and sent their police to arrest him. Jesus rebuffed them. I'm only with you a short time, then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you won't find me. Where I am, you can't come. The Jews put their heads together. Where do you think he's going that we won't be able to find him? Do you think he's about to travel to the Greek world to teach the Jews? What's he talking about anyway? 
you will look for me, but you won't find me, and where I am, you can't come. On the final and climactic day of the feast, Jesus took his stand. He cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Rivers of living water will brim and spill out of the depths of anyone who believes in me this way. Just as the scripture says, he said this in regard to the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were about to receive. The Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Those in the crowd who heard these words were saying, This has to be the prophet. Others said, he is the Messiah. But others were saying, the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Don't the scriptures tell us that the Messiah comes from David's line and from Bethlehem, David's village? So there was a split in the crowd over him. Some went so far as wanting to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. That's when the temple police reported back to the high priests and the Pharisees who demanded, why didn't you bring him with you? The police answered, have you heard the way he talks? We've never heard anyone speak like this man. The Pharisees said, Are you carried away like the rest of the rabble? You don't see any of the leaders believing in him, do you? Or any from the Pharisees? It's only this crowd, ignorant of God's law, that is taken in by him and damned. Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus earlier and was both a ruler and a Pharisee, spoke up. Does our law decide about a man's guilt without first listening to him and finding out what he's doing? But they cut him off. Are you also campaigning for the Galilean? Examine the evidence. See if any prophet ever comes from Galilee. 35,000 decisions a day. One billion decisions in your lifetime. And yet the most important decisions that you'll make in any given day, the most important decisions that you make in your lifetime, will all revolve around the person of Jesus. Now, I say that to you whether you're joining us online or in person, whether you've been at Southside for years and years and years, or whether this is your first time. That's really important, by the way. There are decisions that you and me need to make about Jesus today. Say, oh, I've made those decisions already. That's all looked after. No, no, there's decisions that you and I need to make every day that will radically impact our story whether you're here for the 400th time or the first time. And I would suggest that those decisions that you and I need to make, they're made on four levels. History, testimony, reality, and destiny. First of all, we got to decide about the Jesus of history. See, he's there in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles, otherwise known as the Feast of Booths. And every time I went through that this week, I kept on saying the Feast of Booze. But it's not that kind of feast, okay? It's not that kind of feast. So what's happening is the Israelites are looking back generations earlier and remembering how God brought them out of bondage into a place of blessing. And for generations, they had been looking forward to a Messiah who would come, to a Savior who would arrive in history. And he too would bring them out of a place of spiritual bondage into a place of spiritual blessing. But there was all kind of decisions being made. Some looked at Jesus and said, well, he's obviously the Messiah. He's obviously the Savior. Could could the Messiah provide any more convincing evidence than this? But others were like, no. No, because in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 in the Old Testament, it says the Messiah will come suddenly. And they didn't feel like Jesus came sudden enough. Others said, this can't be the Messiah because the Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem and this guy comes from Galilee. 
they didn't know or they didn't bother to find out that Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem. There was another group, they didn't really care. They didn't really look that deeply into it, whether he was the Messiah or the Savior or the Son of God. They didn't really care. To them, Jesus was a source of free wine, free lunch, and health care. That was enough for them. It's, it's funny, though. If you read through the Gospels, what you'll find is, again and again, Jesus prioritizes teaching and preaching above miracles. To Jesus, it's very clear to see that teaching and preaching are more important to him than miracles. He'll arrive at a place and maybe he'll perform some miracles, but he's always moving. He's always teaching. He's always preaching. He's always sharing the gospel. See, the gospel message message is unlike anything the world has ever heard. The gospel actually says that God does not stand back with his arms crossed telling you that you need to earn your way to heaven. God doesn't stand back in ambivalence and say, you got to earn your way to heaven. God instead sends heaven to you in the person of Jesus. That's the gospel. That salvation is not something that you and me need to earn through our striving, but through God's Son. That's the gospel, and it's good news. And what I want to suggest to you is whether you're here for the first time or the 400th, whether you're online for the first time or the 400th. Just like those people 2,000 years ago, we got to decide what to do with the Jesus of history. See, there's more proof that Jesus lived, died, and rose again than that Julius Caesar ever existed. There's more historical evidence that Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again than that Julius Caesar actually existed. And by the way, I believe Julius Caesar actually existed. It's interesting, though. That's where you'll find people who really oppose the message of Jesus, who really oppose the person of Jesus. They won't often attack his existence. That Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. What they will attack from time to time is they'll say, well, he didn't really rise again. He didn't really, because, because Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. He fainted. Okay? And then after he fainted, he was taken down off the cross. He was revived. And then they claimed that he rose again. The problem with that theory is that historical documentation says that Jesus died on that cross. See, Jesus was crucified between two thieves. And they were crucified on a Friday. And what the Roman officials knew is that they needed to get those three men down off the crosses by sundown on Friday because that's when the Jewish Sabbath started. So that those guys could not be hanging on the cross on the Jewish Sabbath. And so Roman soldiers came to the three men who were crucified. Jesus in the center between two thieves. When they came across the two thieves, they noticed that both of them were still alive. And so what Roman soldiers would do back in that time, if they wanted to speed up the death of the people being crucified, they broke their legs. And when they broke their legs, what it meant was no longer could these people, these men, uh, push themselves up to gain enough leverage to actually get breath into their lungs, and they would die quite quickly of asphyxiation. 
Now, when they got to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. So instead of breaking his legs, what they did is they took a spear, they punctured his side into his heart. The historical record says that out of that puncture wound came blood and water. Well, we know a great deal about Jesus' death then by just that simple fact. That out of that puncture wound came blood and water. What we know is there's a very, very, very good chance that Jesus suffered something called hypovolemic shock. And what that means is that when Jesus was beaten and when Jesus was whipped and when he was scourged, that he would have lost so much blood that, 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 that the heart, just to try to get enough blood, enough nutrients through the body to continue to fuel the body, begins to beat faster and faster and faster and faster. Until eventually the person suffers from something called pericardial effusion, which, is, which means water gathers around the heart sac. Almost always leading to cardiac arrest. But let me be very clear here. So when the historical record says that spear went through his side into his heart, when blood and water came out, that was evidence of his death. But if he hadn't been dead up till now, he was most definitely after that. His heart was punctured. Okay, so those who say that he fainted, they'll quickly move on to the, the next step. They'll say, okay, well, he did die on the cross, but what happened was his disciples took the body, they stole the body and they hid it, and then claimed that Jesus had risen when he didn't. The problem with that argument is that after Jesus rose again, he appeared. He appeared to individuals, he appeared to small groups, and he appeared to uh, large crowds, up to 500 people. And some say, well, those people were hallucinating. That's a really interesting thought. 500 people having the same hallucination at the exact same time. The odds against that are astronomical. Maybe they did, or maybe, maybe Jesus is exactly who he said he was. Jesus is exactly who he says he is. See, when you look back at the Jesus of history, you got to make a decision. Am I willing to say, Jesus, I believe you? And I want to tell you something. If you're joining us for the first time, that's an important thing to look into. If you're joining us for the 400th time, that's an important thing to look into. I didn't say, do your mom and dad believe the Jesus of history? I didn't say, do grandpa and grandma believe the Jesus of history? I asked you. Have you studied, have you looked, have you come to this conclusion that after, after looking at the Jesus of history, I've decided, Jesus, I believe you. So the first level is the Jesus of history. The second level is the Jesus of my testimony. See, you can know all about Jesus, but really to have him change your life, you gotta meet him. You gotta meet him. I've talked about this a lot in this series, but but God inspired John to write this particular gospel so that we would know what Jesus said and what Jesus did, yes. So that we would know about him, but even deeper, we would meet him. That we would meet him. He knows you. He loves you. Have you met him? See, I knew about Jesus, but I never met him till I was 19 years old in the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, Alberta. It changed everything. Have you met him? It's amazing in this story, we see a man named Nicodemus, a Pharisee of all people. 
defending Jesus. Why would a Pharisee defend Jesus? Oh, because he's met him. Changes everything. See, back in John chapter 3, Nicodemus and Jesus had one of the most famous conversations in all of human history when Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Nicodemus met Jesus face to face. Have you met him? He knows you. He loves you and wants to be known by you. See, I think there's so, so much power in our testimony. See, I believe when we look back at the Jesus of history, we got to decide, am I willing to say, Jesus, I believe you? When we look back at the Jesus of our testimony, we got to decide whether we're willing to say, Jesus, I thank you. I thank you. I believe that gratitude fuels our life, not just looking back, but looking ahead. Your testimony is a powerful thing, a powerful source of faith, a powerful source of gratitude. If you're willing to say, Jesus, I thank you. I thank you. I think there's three mistakes that we can make with our testimony that will rob us of that gratitude. I think we can skip it. I think we can sanitize it. And I think we can sensationalize it. I believe that all three of those mistakes will rob us of the gratitude that that was meant to fuel our present and our future. See, I think some people skip their testimony. It usually goes something like this. They say, well, I started following Jesus when I was five years old. And the rest is history, you know, blah, 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 and here I am. What time out? Did you say blah, blah, blah? I really want to hear the blah, blah, blah. Can you get it a little deeper than blah, blah, blah? Because I really want to hear it. How has he provided for you? How has he been with you through hard times and good times, through twists and turns, through ups and downs? Has he walked with you through trauma and trials? Has he delivered you? Has he delivered you from pride and arrogance? Has he delivered you from greed and lust? What's he been saying to you lately? How has he been speaking to you? And, and if you've been following Jesus since you were five, six, or seven years old, maybe you might look at me right now and go, well, Jesus doesn't really speak to me. Stop. That's an incorrect statement. Jesus speaks to you every day. Every single day, Jesus is speaking. Remember last week we talked about one of the things that Jesus says over and over and over again in the Gospels is, whoever has ears, let him hear. Are you listening? Are you listening? Really, really listening. Jesus is speaking to you. Are you listening? Now, I'm not suggesting that he speaks to you in an audible voice. He's never spoken to me in an audible voice. I'm not 100% convinced that I'm ready for him to speak to me in an audible voice. (laughs) But speaking to your soul, deep faith, deep impressions, direction. So my prayer for you if you have a tendency or a temptation to skip your testimony, it is that when you open up the Bible this week, that you would have the faith to lean in and say, Jesus, speak. Speak, I'm listening. Even right in this moment, that you would have the faith to lean in and say, Jesus, would you speak to me? Because I'm listening right now. So we shouldn't skip our testimony. Don't sanitize it either. People have been in church for a long, long time, and their testimony starts to sound kind of weird, you know? They sanitize it. It ends up sounding something like this. Well, God looked all over the world for a Christian superstar in the making. Someone well-behaved, you know, somebody who dots every I and crosses every T. 
someone completely moral and upright, and obviously he looked at me and said, would you please, would you please play on my team? That's not true. You were an utter wingnut before you met God. You know that. Don't sanitize your story. I know for some parents you're like, okay, but my, my story is kind of crazy. I'm not sure if I should be like sharing it with my kids right now. I get it. There's certain times where appropriate truth is appropriate in those moments, and you can pray and ask God wisdom for that because your story's crazy. I get it, I get it, I get it, okay? But don't sanitize it. Two things that can happen to your kids in particular, to the next generation in particular. Number one, they might not believe you. Well, that's a nightmare. Because they look at you and they go, well, if you're not telling the truth about that, what else aren't you telling the truth about when it comes to Jesus? You know what's even worse than that? They might believe you. They might believe you. That God chose you because you were a Christian superstar in the making. You had it all together. He looked at you and said, man, that's the kind of dude, that's the kind of dude I'd like to have on my team. They might believe you. And then they're walking around in their lives and they're a little bit like you and a little bit like me. They know the areas where they struggle. They know the areas where they feel defeated and they start to think Jesus could never invite someone like me. So don't skip it. Don't sanitize it and don't sensationalize it. You know, these are the people that get up and well, I was an international fugitive, first of all, on the FBI most wanted. Chick magnet, you know what I mean? Like the ladies... <laughs> Loved me. New date every day. Private jets. Jet setting. Sweet house. Amazing cars. Just traveling all over the world. Then I met Jesus. The end. Okay. Uh, time up. So, how did you get to the end? How did you get to the end of yourself? Because that's where we meet Jesus. You get to the end of yourself and the end of your chick magnetism and whatever else it is, and you look up and there he is. So how'd you get there? Testimony is powerful. See, the Jesus of history, we look and we have to make the decision, Jesus, I believe you. With our testimony, we gotta ask ourselves, am I willing to say, Jesus, I thank you. If you skip it, if you sanitize it, if you sensationalize it, it's gonna rob you of that gratitude that will change your life. Third level, the Jesus of reality. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, whoever comes to me, they'll receive living water. Living water. What a concept. If after church today I gave you a big glass of water and you drank the whole thing, so refreshing, would you ever need to drink water again for the rest of your life? Well, only if you live more than three days, okay? So, but you probably would. I hope so. The same thing, in a sense, is true of spiritual water. I want to be careful the way I explain this, okay? But remember, the passage says that when Jesus died, rose again, then he ascended into heaven and sent his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to give you and me spiritual refreshment, to quench our thirsty souls. But here's the question. Here's, if the question for the, for the Jesus of history is, am I willing to say, Jesus, I believe you? If the question for the Jesus of my testimony is this, am I willing to say, Jesus, I thank you? Here's the question for the Jesus of reality. This spectacular moment, am I willing to say, Jesus, I welcome you. I welcome you in the person of the Holy Spirit. 
I welcome you into my life. I welcome you into this spectacular moment. So it sounds pretty easy, right? The Bible calls it walking in the spirit. I don't think it's easy at all. I think it's incredibly difficult. There's a lot of people walking around in our world today and they would look back at the Jesus of history and they would say, Jesus, I believe you. You came, you died, you rose again. I believe you. And they would look back at the Jesus of their testimony and they would say, Jesus, I thank you. Man, you forgave my sins. You're healing my hurts. You, you secured my eternity. And now when it comes to this spectacular moment, zip it. Psst, I don't want to hear it. I believe you in history. I thank you in my testimony. But right now, I don't want to hear it. I don't hear what you have to say about my money. I don't want to hear what you have to say about my sexuality. I don't want to hear what you have to say about me actually helping people less fortunate than myself. I don't want to hear it. I, I don't want to hear about forgiving people who have hurt me. I don't. Zip it, Jesus. I believe you in history. I thank you in my testimony. But I do not welcome you into my reality. I do not welcome you into this spectacular moment. Get lost. Sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? Well, we came by it honestly. That temptation for you and me to believe in the Jesus of history, to thank the Jesus of our testimony, but to uh, tell the Jesus of reality to butt out, we came by that honestly. Our, our whole culture has done that. Have you, have you thought about it? They say that we live in a post-Christian culture. Have you thought about that phrase? Not pre-Christian, not anti-Christian, post-Christian culture. What a concept. It's an incredible concept. So as a culture, we've said this, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming in and revolutionizing the value that we put on people. That, that instead of the strong lording it over the weak, Instead of the strong oppressing the weak, abusing the weak, using the weak, uh, lording it over the weak, Jesus, you came in and you said the strong need to look after the weak because after all, every single person is made in the image of God and is infinite in value. So thanks for that, Jesus. Thank you for elevating the value of women. By saying men and women are equally created in his image, equally valuable. You know, around the time that Jesus showed up in human history, this is what happened in the Roman Empire. In the Roman Empire, before the days of ultrasound, if a man and a woman had a baby girl, quite often what they would do is they would take that little newborn baby girl and they would bring that newborn baby girl and they, they would place her in the wilderness and walk away and let her die. And they would justify it in two ways. Number one, they would say, well, we didn't do anything. We didn't do anything, it's just what we didn't do. And also, get real, it's just a girl. It's not like it's anything important, it's just a girl. So we say thank you, Jesus, for coming in and getting our head straight to where we know that men and women equally valuable before God. Every nation, every skin color, for God so loved the world, every language, and Jesus, thank you for establishing the church. They got it wrong sometimes, but, but, but more often than not, when they got it right, when they leaned into your teaching, it was the church that led the way in abolishing the slave trade. 
It was the church that established the first hospitals, the first universities, the first orphanages, the first charities. So Jesus, thank you for all of that. Now, get lost. It's kind of a hair-raising concept. It's kind of a hair-raising concept, don't you think? It's like climbing up the philosophical tree, getting all the way to the top, taking out a saw, and sawing off the branch you're standing on. But let's move back from culture to you and to me. Am I willing to welcome him into this spectacular moment? I believe him in history. I thank him for my testimony, but how about right now? See, the only way that you would get to a point in your life when you're, you're willing to say, Jesus, I welcome you into reality, I welcome you into this spectacular moment, is if you can get to the point where you would say this, listen, this is massive. Jesus, you were faithful back then, and I believe that you are faithful right now. Jesus, you loved me back then, and I believe that you love me right now. Jesus, you had a plan and a purpose for my life back then, and you have a plan and a purpose for my life right now. Welcoming him into this spectacular moment. Not out of duty, by the way, but out of delight. I struggle with this one sometimes because I'm a real task-driven person. I'm a task-driven person. If I could go back and raise my kids again, that's one thing I would change. Instead of always looking to be productive, just to be present. I was always really busy when my kids were growing up but I always found time to take them to the park. Isn't that nice? I would take them to the park. And you know what we would do at the park? We would play soccer. Isn't that neat? We'd play soccer. And when we played soccer, I brought my whistle and cones and pennies. I'm not making this up. I am not making this up. We would do drills, and I had a plan. And when we were done, we would go to 7-Eleven for Slurpees, but in the back of my head, I'd be thinking, yes, we can have Slurpees now because we got some stuff Done. We were productive, but there was a fly in the ointment. There was a fly in the ointment. When we went to the park, the fly in the ointment was my daughter, Emma. She's now the Southside Kids pastor, and Emma would wreck it. <laughs> she would, every single time. So I would set up all the cones, and, and everyone would be dribbling you know, around the cones, and then shoot on the goal. So I'd go, okay, Emma, dribble around these seven cones. Gabe's in net. Take a shot. It'll be awesome. And so Emma would go, okay. And she would dribble around the first cone. Then she would pick up the soccer ball and run away as fast as she could. <laughs> Every time. Every single time. And I remember laughing my head off, but in the back of my mind thinking, Emma, got to be productive. As it turns out, she was right. And I was wrong. We don't need to be productive. We just need to be present. You get it? And, and the same thing is true with welcoming God into this spectacular moment. He doesn't need you to be productive. He just wants you to be present. It's tough because for some of us who kind of have this certain kind of task-driven personality, it's like, well, well, Jesus wants me to be God's little worker. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Well, after all, I need to change the world. Who? You? No, that ain't your job. Well, what's my job? Just welcome him in. See, God made you with unique gifts and abilities, proclivities, quirkiness. A few years ago, I had a bunch of friends saying to me, you gotta go to this naturopath doctor. He's amazing, you gotta go see him. 
And so she's like, okay, whatever, I'll try it. And I get there, and he does all these tests on me, okay? And then he asked me a question that I don't know why, but I wasn't prepared for. Simple question, he says, why are you here? And I didn't know what to say, so I said, more energy. I need more energy. And he said to me, the only way that I could provide you more energy is to prescribe for you methamphetamines. I said, could you? No, I didn't say that. I, I didn't say that. You can do that? This is my kind of doctor. No, I did not say that. Same thing is true of you, not the methamphetamines thing. There, there, I've lost. I, I'm off track. Here's my point. There, there's unique things about you. We talked about it last week, the youest version of you that the world has ever seen. That's all God wants. You know, Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus said, come to me if you're weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So I got a lot of energy, right? It's great. So I'm going through my day with all this energy. There's rest for my soul right in the midst of all of it. I'm not God's little worker. I'm his kid. His job is to change the world. My job is just to welcome him in and be the meanest version of me that the world has ever seen. See, to the Jesus of history, am I willing to say, Jesus, I believe you? To the Jesus of my testimony, am I willing to say, Jesus, I thank you? To the Jesus of reality, I gotta ask myself this, am I willing to say today, right in this spectacular moment, Jesus, I welcome you? And then fourth and finally, the Jesus of destiny. See, one day, Jesus is gonna come back. He lived, died, rose again, ascended into heaven. He's going to come back, and he's going to roll up history like a scroll. He's going to start again. New heaven, new earth. New body for you, new body for me. No more disease. No more sickness. No more insecurity. No more anxiety. No more wars. No more violence. No more hatred. No more enmity. No more racism. No more pollution. New heaven, new earth, new heaven, new earth. One day Jesus is going to come back. That's our destiny. All things new. Yeah. You know what? Something kind of sticks in my craw about this whole topic is how as a culture, as a culture generally, and as the church specifically, what a rotten job we've done of looking forward to that day. We make it really ethereal sometimes. You know, like we're gonna be chubby little angels on clouds playing harps. No, we're not. Or this description of, it's just gonna be like an eternal sing-along. With all due respect, that doesn't sound remotely fun to me. <laughs> new heaven, new earth. New heaven, new earth. New heaven, new earth. Think, think, think. Deeper, deeper, let's think deeper. New heaven, new earth. New Paris, new Paris. Recognizable, but infinitely more. You never been there? Oh, you'll, you'll go there. I don't know whether it's gonna be on this side of eternity or on that side of eternity, but you'll be there. New Vancouver, new Rocky Mountains. I, I want you to try to think, just a glimpse, just a moment, just a glimpse of what is to come in our destiny. That moment that you have where you say, it doesn't get much better than this. That moment, that moment is a glimpse, just the beginning of a glimpse of a shadow of what's to come. 
for me, there's a, a place that I go back to in my mind, actually, every single night. Every single night before I fall asleep, I remember growing up about 25 minutes northwest of Red Deer, Alberta. We lived on an acreage in a subdivision of acreages. And in the middle of all those acreages was a community center, a little shack sitting there, a heated shack, and then an outdoor rink. And I would go there lots. There was lights that shone down so you could go at night. Sometimes I'd meet my best buddy Grant King there. Often I would be there all by myself. Every night, every night before I fall asleep, I go back there. And I just remember the sound, you know? Blades on ice, puck on boards. The feel, the feel of the air on my face. Do you have a moment like that? See, if you do what I think that is, I think that's the beginning of an inkling of a shadow of what's to come. I think of being on that rink and then taking a break and leaning on those boards and looking up past the lights that are shining down in the ice and looking up and seeing my breath disappear as a vapor into a sky full of stars. See, I don't think our, our destiny is ethereal. I think it's more real, more real than anything you could ever imagine. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. I can tell you all about that rink, but I'll show you. I'll show you one day. I'll take you there. We'll play some hockey. I'll probably win. No, I'm just kidding. I just, I don't know why it's... But can you imagine sports in heaven? No insecurity. No need to validate yourself or myself. None of that. Just a joy. Taking as much pleasure in someone else's gifts and abilities as you do in your own. Can you imagine that? I just imagine one day taking you to that rink and then leaning on those boards and looking up. Watching our breath disappear as a vapor into a sky full of stars and as we look up knowing that there's, there's an artist behind that artistry and he loves us and he's with us and our eternity is adventure and exploration that never ends and joy and hope and love. See, to the Jesus of history, we say, Jesus, I believe you. To the Jesus of our testimony, we say, Jesus, I thank you. To the Jesus of reality, we say, Jesus, I welcome you. To the Jesus of our destiny, to the Jesus of our destiny, we say this, Jesus, Jesus, because of you, because of you, the best is yet to come and always will be. Let's pray. I'm gonna bow your heads and close your eyes. Before I go any further, I just wanna ask you a question. Have you met him? Have you met Jesus? He knows you and he loves you. He came and he died and rose again so that your sins could be forgiven, so that your hurts could be healed. Strength for today, hope 
for tomorrow. Life, real life, real life that starts right now in this spectacular moment and stretches into eternity. Have you met him? See, he loves you. I would suggest if you're joining us online or you're here in person, that he's been orchestrating events to get you into this moment. Because he wants you to know him. To know that you are fully, completely, and totally loved. And so I guess my question for, the, for you would be this. Are you willing today to say, Jesus, I don't know everything, but I know enough to put my trust in you, to put my faith in you. And if that's you today, what I ask you to do is with all eyes closed and heads bowed, can you just raise your hand right now, nice and high, because I want to pray for you if that's you. It's amazing. If you're joining us online and it's safe to do so, I would love it if you could raise your hand also. Something powerful, uh, outward expression of that inward decision. Hey, if your hand's up, you can put it down. I'm going to pray out loud, and I would just invite you to pray silently along with me. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you stepped into human history. Thank you that you lived, died, and rose again. Jesus, I thank you that you did it for me. So today I ask you to be my savior. I pray that you would forgive my sins. Give me a fresh start, a new beginning right now. I thank you. And Jesus, I acknowledge you as my Lord. I welcome you into this spectacular moment. I pray that you would give me strength and give me life today, tomorrow, and forever. And Jesus, for all the rest of us, there are some here that's still not sure. They're still getting to know you. I pray that you would show yourself to them moment by moment, day by day. And for those of us who have known you for a long time, Jesus, we come before you right now in all humility and we say, we still believe. We are still thankful. We still welcome you. And we still know, we still know that because of you, because of you the best is still yet to come and always will be. We thank you in your name. Amen. Let's celebrate. So next week is Baptism Sunday. Pastor Dave already said that. There's one more thing I want to share with you. If you ask me to give you one story, one story, where Jesus steps out of the pages of history and says, this is who I am, we're talking about that story next week. You've heard it called, you've heard it called, a woman caught in adultery. I've given it a new name. This is the new name. Men caught with rocks in their hands. Don't miss it. Bring everyone you know. I love you. We'll see you then. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.